Going Linux, episode 400, Listener Experiences. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you're new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you valuable information and advice that will help you in Going Linux. We hope that you'll find this and all of our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done. If you want, you can send us feedback at our email address at goinglinux at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 1-904-468-7889. In today's episode, our 400th episode... I should add some echo on the episode, episode, episode. <laughs> hey, Bill. Hey, Larry. So we made it to 400, huh? We did. We made it to 400. Yeah. 400 episodes of, well, I wouldn't say listening to me because I've, what I get, I got, I joined podcast when it was like 170 something. Yeah, so you got most of those. Come on. <laughs> You've done all four hundred. Yeah, that's true. Oh, that's actually, true. actually, three ninety nine. I did that one with John O'Bacon. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. That was a good one. Yeah, that yeah. Was a good episode. That was a good episode. I enjoyed that, and I and I didn't know what I was doing. So, just an update on distros. Which one do you think I'm running? Manjaro. You got it. Still running Manjaro. It's still, still running. running Manjaro. Yes. So that's good. That's yes. good. You're no longer a distro hopper, at least not for your main machine. <laughs> well, both my machines run Manjaro. What does that say? Okay. It says you like it and that it works for you. That's I, it good. It does. So, you know, of course, it was one of the last ones I've tried. You know, I couldn't have picked the, for that the first one, time around. No, it'd be too easy. Yeah, yeah. So how's everything going with you, Larry? Ah, things are going well. I'm still on Ubuntu Mate 20.04. I have not upgraded yet. Uh, my XPS 13 has decided that its battery will only go to 67% of capacity, which means that, you know, once once it gets almost to 50%, well, a little above 50% of the charge left, it just drops down to zero. So I got to watch it. <laughs> so, so I'm getting a replacement battery. All right. And uh, while I'm while I have the thing open, I'm also going to update the NVMe drive from the 500 gigs that I have to two terabytes. Two terabytes. Yes. I don't know what I'll do with all that space because <laughs> I'm using about between 50% and 75%, depending on how many podcast episodes I have stored mm -hmm. uh, on the machine. And um, yeah, once once I get it there, I'm sure I'll fill it up real quick. But uh, yeah, it, it'll, be, uh, it'll be interesting because at the time I purchased this XPS 13, I couldn't afford the two terabytes. So now that memory has gone down and, you know, it's, it's, let's face it, it's long out of warranty and all that sort of stuff. So I should be able to remove the 400,000 screws, replace <laughs> <laughs> both the battery and the hard drive, and then I'll install 
the latest Ubuntu Mate on there, and uh, we'll be ready to go. Oh, so it's not uh, simply pop off the back, take a few screws out, and put you had to assemble the whole thing. Um, it's not so bad on this. I, I uh, took a look at the instructions, and I think seriously there are about seven or ten screws on the bottom. <laughs> Once you have those um, out, of course they're special kind of screws. They're not Phillips head or anything standard, of course. Um, but they are Torx screws, so they're kind of standard for the computer world. And then um, once I've got that off, the battery is right there. I think it's like three screws to remove the battery and unplug it. Um, well, I'd probably do it the opposite order. You know, <laughs> unplug it, then take the screws out. <laughs> remove the battery, and once the battery's out, you can see the hard drive right there, and that's remove a screw and, and pop the hard drive in. I keep calling it a hard drive because you know, <laughs> yeah. that, that's kind of traditional, but the card that now has the equivalent of a hard drive on it. Yeah. Uh, and you just pop it in, put the screw back on, put the you know new battery in and uh, the screws back on the back cover and away you go. So in theory, it should go very easily and smoothly and very quickly. In reality, I'll give you the war story later. <laughs> <laughs> This is as long as it starts back up. And if you, yes. You know it's a bad thing if you have leftover screws, okay? Just uh, yeah, throwing yeah, that out exactly. there. All right. So it's 400th. And, wow. So that's uh, – the podcast was started in what year, Larry? 2007, I wow. think, for this podcast. Yeah, 2007. So, you know, it's uh, – a lot of episodes every year, and that's okay. I mean, there are there are podcasts out there that do many more episodes per year than us, and there are podcasts out there that are into their thousands of episodes, like multiple thousands of episodes. I'm sure some of them. So it's uh, we're not the, the biggest or the you know the the longest lasting ep- uh, podcast out there, but uh, yeah, it's. Um, uh, Hey. 400 is something to be celebrated. So we are. Yes. And and without uh, all our our listeners and our faithful tech minions, we wouldn't have gotten this far. So I wanted to say thank you for everything and sticking with us even through the really bad re- recordings that we've done a few times. So we yeah. really do appreciate everything you guys do. And uh, thanks for sticking with us. Before we begin the actual feedback... Just as a reminder, this episode, the four, our 400th episode, is about you, the audience. And although we have listener feedback episodes every month, this one is a special listener feedback episode. And one of the reasons we wanted to do this is because we wanted to honor our listeners. But in addition, the listener feedback episodes tend to be the most popular episodes we have, mainly because I think uh, people enjoy hearing what other people have to say, experience through them the things that they don't experience because they haven't tried them or haven't tried them yet. And it's a great way to learn things. So although our every other episode is a new topic and it may or may not be of interest to you, there's always something of interest in the listener feedback episodes. So Um, That's what we've decided to do here, and we've gotten some great feedback from our listeners to 
help us celebrate our 400th episode, and we'll get started with George from Tulsa. And he's provided a recorded audio file with his feedback. So here's George. Hi, Larry and Bill. George from Tulsa here with congratulations on your 400th episode. Your show helped me move to Linux and regain control of my computing life. I download each episode with the same kind of expectation as looking forward to biting into a homemade chocolate chip cookie fresh from the oven. I'd like to also thank your listeners for their contributions questions, and suggestions in listener feedback, and add, I'm honored you've allowed me to contribute back by including some of my own in those episodes. Good work, and keep going. Okay, George, thank you, and I've never been compared to a chocolate chip cookie before, but (laughs) that's great. I'm kind of hungry now. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, um, yeah, thanks for contributing. Um, yeah. It's it's our honor to have you uh, provide us with that message of congratulations. And we really appreciate your uh, listenership and happy that you've been enjoying our podcast since, you know, you've downloaded every episode. That's great. I don't think I've downloaded every episode, so yeah, way to go, George. So (laughs) our next feedback comes from Gus, and he provides this submission for our 400th episode. Hi, Larry and Bill. Congratulations on 400 episodes of Going Linux. I've been listening since about 2011, and it's crazy that it's come up on a decade. I first became interested in Linux when a friend handed me a Linux Mint CD in middle school, and I was hooked. I seem to recall a time in my short-lived high school baseball career getting some grief for listening to Linux podcasts on the bus and attempting to listen in the dugout at a particularly boring game. (laughs) I still use Linux every day for work and hobbies, but my zealotry has calmed down a bit since then. Thanks for a great show and all you do for the community, Gus. Thanks, Gus. That's 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 funny that you got it in middle school and you're still using it. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just a word to the wise: uh, if you don't want to get teased for listening to Linux or any other kind of podcast, I use headphones. <laughs> So I'm sure from the way it's worded that Gus was teased not because of the listening, but because of the zealotry for uh, talking about Linux all the time. I think so, I uh, think that's uh, everybody that uh, first finds Linux and goes, "Oh my goodness, look at all this wonderful free software! I can, you know, I don't have to pay licenses. I can do all this great crazy stuff." You remember when you used to have the cubes and the fire uh, would, uh, you know? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was wobbly a, windows, wobbly and, yeah. windows, and. Yeah, that yeah, that's all come down too. But I remember having one that completely uh, customized like that. When you close a window, the fire would just burn it up, and yeah, that was great fun. That I think that's one why a lot of people got involved in it at the beginning is just they could do so much customization to it. 
Yeah, yeah, and that, that continues to this day. It's uh, uh, become more mature and a little more sedate, and <laughs> but still, you can do all that if you want to. And do you have wobbly windows, so Larry? I do not. I do not. And, however, I did have the same thing. When you closed a window, you burned it. Burned up from the bottom <laughs> up, and uh, I would still have that today if I didn't have to install all the software that makes that work. <laughs> uh, but uh, oh, good times. It's much more practical use these days. But you know, for back sure. yeah, back in remember now when they were doing all this, you couldn't do any of that on Windows. You couldn't have the cube. You couldn't spin the things around. You couldn't have uh, wobbly windows. So you know it was like a tinkerer's heaven. So I think yeah, I think exactly. when, when you're young and you got time. <laughs> to do stuff like that but when you when you actually have to work for a living and uh, you're going to college or whatever it's like i just want it to work yeah exactly and you know although i think windows and mac os are probably capable of doing all of that stuff they just don't allow you to and ah, with linux okay. yeah of course you you can and many people do so <laughs> There okay. you go. Thanks, Gus. Thanks, Gus. Okay, and Paul's contribution for the 400th episode is next, and he's provided us with three tips for Linux beginners. I'll take the first one, if you take the second, and I'll take the third one. Okay? All right. All right. Uh, his email starts, this is Paul, formerly from Ankara, now from Tirana, Albania. Hopefully I pronounce the name somewhat close to what it should be pronounced. <laughs> I have three tips for Linux beginners for episode 400, which might be useful. Tip number one, the terminal is scary. But for most things, beginners are confronted with this. It is not absolutely necessary anymore. Some file managers like Nautilus and Nemo and maybe others have a right-click option to open, an, open as administrator. So when one is in a situation where a configuration file has to be changed, one can just navigate to the folder where the file is located, right-click on the folder, and choose Open as Administrator. After entering the password, the files in the folder are displayed. When opening one of those files, the content can be changed in the file and can be saved. This way is much more visual as just copying and pasting a command from the Internet which one barely understands. And on the way to finding the folder and the file, which has to be changed, one sees what else is there and can remember it better. And after doing the same thing many times, like trying out options for a sound card, one is ready and willing to use the terminal because it's just faster. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, uh, Paul says the second tip, and it was Google Earth desktop application does not work on any non English system installation out of the box as it should. When searching for a city and clicking on the suggested result, the globe turns and a zoom in and zooms in somewhere in the ocean. Oh, that's handy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, this is because the longitude and latitude values which are found for, let's say, Berlin, are formatted by Google Earth into the regional settings of the Linux dis uh, installation. English regional settings use a point uh, 
as decimal separator, while all non-English settings use a comma as the decimal separator. So it is 9.95 USD, but 9 comma 95 uh, euro in German, French, Spanish, Russian, or any regional setting other than English. But Google Earth cannot use the common comma values in, internally. It only works with a point uh, or period as the decimal separator. So as a result, the globe just turns and zooms to some default point. To fix this, we have to tell Google Earth to use English settings for the location values, no matter what regional settings the Linux install, install actually uses. To do this, just go with your file manager to a file system folder, OPT, open it, there open the folder Google, then open the folder Earth, right-click the folder Pro, Enter your password, open the file of Google Earth. The first few lines are marked with a pound symbol and right under the line insert the command LNG equals EN underscore US. Then save the file. Now Google Earth uses a point in the longitude and latitude values instead of a comma. Open Google Earth and try, and if it doesn't work, you made a mistake, so go back and check. This bug has been in Google Earth for years and will probably come up every time there is an update for uh, Google Earth's desktop application for Linux, as it already happened to me once. We'll include a script that Paul uh, provided in the show notes, and he helpfully typed all that out or copy and pasted. So, yeah. You can look. You can find all that in the show notes because if I read it, you, your eyes would glaze over. Yeah, and that script, uh, according to the description, configures any environment prerequisites needed by Google Earth. Uh, and the instructions are: start Google Earth using the script rather than Google Earth dash bin directly. Uh, yeah. Good tip. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and since both of us use English language settings. On our computers, we had no idea this was a problem. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. Thanks very much, Paul, for letting us know about that. And Paul's third tip is, if your headset jack does not work properly, or not at all, after installing Linux, leave it and use a USB to audio jack adapter instead. The chances that you will get the headset jack to work are very small, and the chances that you will break your audio settings are very big. I just had three different laptops with two different sound cards where I could not get the jack to work at all, or only partially, after many hours and days of trying. And I had this in the past with more laptops as well. Sure, I learned a lot, but I did not want to have to learn all this. And it was no help anyway. A USB adapter costs only a few dollars and works. These were my tips for beginners. Feel free to use them in your podcast. I hope someone might find them useful. Take care of yourself in these unpleasant times. Wear masks, wash hands. I want to listen to your outstanding podcast for many more years. Thank you so much for all you do for me and the Linux community. Paul from Tirana, Albania. 
Well, thanks, Paul. Thanks for the kind words and thanks for the tips. Yes. And I'll add one more tip uh, for anybody that's got no laptop that they can't get their wireless working. You can buy a USB uh, a wireless dongle that works all the time, and you just don't have to worry about you know Linux. Uh, it's TP-Link, I think, it was the one that uh, you told me about, Larry, and I bought mm-hmm. it, and it, it I have not found one laptop that uh, it does not work on. So just just that's a uh, yeah, just a additional one, and uh, that's actually a good idea. I wish I'd have thought of that when we remember back in the day when we did have problems with sound cards. <laughs> Golly. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Well, now that you're using Manjaro and I'm using Ubuntu Mate, it's very <laughs> rare that we have sound problems. Now, self-induced technical difficulties related to getting the podcast started on time? Yeah, that we have all the time. Oh, no, that, that, that's... <laughs> but hardware issues, not so much. Well, sometimes it's not technical. Sometimes I'm just sitting there blabbing away, so just... Now, yeah. Yeah, well... <laughs> so, anyway, we are next... Uh, feedback comes from an anonymous fan, and he says, Hi, in the latest episode, a user asked about a file searching tool. May I recommend Recall? And he leaves a link in the show notes if you're interested. And he says, Not only can you search file names, you can also search inside documents like Google. It, sur- it supports pretty much all the common file document types. You can pretty much save all your work anywhere without categorizing them and let Recall index them for you to search keywords like using a search engine. It's GPL, being actively developed, and has a good amount of documentation. It's available on Debian, Ubuntu, Arch, Manjaro, probably Fedora, and FreeBSD as well. Loving the show, a fan. All right. Yeah, uh, Recall is something I hadn't run across, and it sounds like a great searching tool, Um, and I checked, it's in the Ubuntu repositories, and if, as our anonymous fan writes, it's available in all these other distributions, I don't see that there's any reason for not using it, so... I wonder uh, if it's I'm available. Try it out. I'm gonna see if it's available. I'm sure. I'm sure it is. But yeah, yeah. He well, he says it is. So <laughs> I just wonder if it's in the Arch repositories or if it's in uh, just a regular Manjuro. I have to check. It's- yeah. Okay. Well, either way, it's available and yes. for free BSD as well, of course. Oh yeah, of course. Anyway, let's move on to Rod, who provided some feedback. Uh, from our last episode, a listener wrote in about ripping their DVDs to put them on their Plex server. They can use a command line utility called VobCopy, V-O-B-C-O-P-Y, and you would type the command VobCopy-M that rips and decrypts the DVD to a folder on a file system. And if one wants an ISO image, just use XFBurn, X-F-B-U-R-N, Brasero, B-R-A-S-E-R-O, K3B, or other disk-burning software application for Linux to make the ISO file. Point handbrake to the folder 
and it will transcode the video into M4V or MKV. I found this method works better than GUI applications for me. I had David's LibreOffice problem a long time ago. The solution on Ubuntu-based systems for my problem was to purge all PPAs with the same files as LibreOffice. The static files that you can download from LibreOffice and unzip them, then make executable, works well and can run side-by-side -side with distro versions of LibreOffice. Hope this helps. Rod. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So static files, running them executable. Yeah, that that should work and certainly wouldn't com conflict with anything else as long as you remove everything else. Uh, and the comment about PPAs is understandable as well. I, that could be where the yeah. complication was coming from. So since LibreOffice is available in repositories, in their own PPA, as this standalone executable... Uh, even as snaps on uh, uh, on Ubuntu-based distributions, and I'm sure there are Flatpak versions and other versions of LibreOffice as well. If you've got more than one installed, there's a risk that they could conflict with one another. Um, some of them definitely won't if you're using like a Flatpak or a, a, a snap because they're isolated from everything else. But um, yeah, if you've got a PPA and the version that your distribution just provides and some other version installed, first of all, I think in your menus, you'd probably have three different entries <laughs> for the three different versions. Which one are you starting? I don't know. Uh, yeah, so try to clean them all out first. Start them all up. Who cares? Yeah. So Dan sent us this email last year, but we didn't see it until he sent it again this month. Oh, our bad. Larry, yeah. <laughs> Larry and Bill, I've been a listener on and off for seven to eight years. I'm a Red Hat server guy mainly at work, so I really did much with the Linux desktop. I really do not like Ubuntu desktop, but I know there is a massive community and online forums that support Ubuntu. I really do not like Windows. However, my education and job is in the information technology field, so I need to stay informed on all operating systems. My daily driver is my 2010 MacBook, MacBook Air. I know it's old, but it still works fine. Although I can no longer update it to the latest OS, I still get security patches and updates. Like I stated at the beginning, I'm a red hat guy, but mainly for servers at work. I do have a couple of Odroid SBC home servers running Debian OS server with Nextcloud, Plex, and Pihole. I realize Debian-based distros are generally better for desktop. That being said, I installed Ubuntu Mate 20.04 on my HP laptop touchscreen, and it's a Core i3, and it runs at 2.5 GHz and has 8 GB of RAM. This laptop is about 6 years old, and I upgraded the hard drive to a 1 TB SSD, so it is still pretty fast. The touchscreen does not work well at all with Ubuntu Mate or GNOME. Is there a way to use a touchscreen laptop with Ubuntu Mate? Love your podcast, Larry and Bill, 
Bill, 73, Dan, and Round Lake Beach, Illinois, USA. So, now he said he installed 2004. So, let's see. What is what is Ubuntu Mate? What's the current one? 2010 now? 2010, but 20.04 is the latest long-term support release. So, that's fine. Okay. It's still current. Um, and his six-year-old HP laptop probably isn't... 4k ah. so you know if it's a 4k screen he says it's a touch screen but if it's a 4k screen you've got the teeny tiny uh uh icons and things <laughs> trying to touch those with your finger you'd have to go to the high dpi settings so if you're not using that uh and you do have uh, a, a 4k screen you should probably switch over to that and let's see, uh, that, that is if you want to use your, your touchscreen, if you have one. And I know that on my XPS 13, it's a 4K screen. I do use the high DPI settings when I'm not connected to a monitor. And I have successfully enabled the, uh, the, the touch capability. In fact, most of the time I disable the touch screen so I don't accidentally bump it and move my mouse somewhere but with the appropriate size buttons or whatever on the screen um, you can operate it fairly well with uh, with your finger on the touch screen uh, at least that's what I have found uh, the only thing is some of the buttons do tend to be a little bit small even with configuring the screen with 1080p resolution, the buttons still seem a little bit small. So uh, one thing that you might want to try is reduce the resolution on the screen to something smaller so that everything is bigger, appears bigger on the screen. That could help. And I haven't had um, an old enough computer to be able to say whether there may be some limitations to the touch screens that were manufactured six years ago or seven years ago, depending on how um, long before you purchased it, the, the computer you're using was actually manufactured. So there may be some hardware limitations there, but I expect that some of the issues that you're having may have to do with the fact that on a touchscreen, Ubuntu Mate and most Linux distributions are not really optimized for touch the way that a phone would be. On the other hand, from what I've heard, you might want to try Pop! OS, try it in a virtual machine, and see if that works any better for you because it tends to be a little bit more touch-friendly, let's say. And some of the direction that GNOME is going and with some of the other Linux distributions or desktop environments, there is some convergence around Linux desktops and phone operating system. And, you know, of course, phones are much more optimized for uh, touch. So as time goes on, it might become a little bit easier. And you might be able to find a distribution out there that actually, or a desktop out there for your distribution that enables touch a little bit better. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, Mate is, it works with touch. It, it's not best experience but for what i've ever needed to do uh, it's been working just fine when i have 
wanted to use a touchscreen on a regular basis. I've enabled some accessibility settings that, for example, uh, automatically pop up the uh, on-screen keyboard when you type into a text field and oh, okay. want to type so that you can type using that keyboard. And some of the settings in accessibility will also help you with other aspects of text. So you might want to take a look in there, Dan, and see if that helps you out. Yeah. I know Wimpy has worked on some of the touchscreen stuff. I remember him saying something in a podcast that they have been uh, working to make it where uh, works better. So yeah, it'll yeah. probably still continue getting better. Yeah, exactly. And someday <laughs> it'll all be like a phone. And I don't um, look forward to those days when trying to use a mouse to run a phone oriented or a touch oriented interface. Yeah, we'll that, see. Maybe we'll difficult. all be on touch pads at that point. <laughs> all right. <laughs> okay. And uh, our last email for our episode here is from Daniel, one of our regular blind listeners. He forwarded an email that he received. Hello, Larry and Bill and anyone else. Here is a piece of news about Arch Linux I had been hoping to get. And he's forwarded this email from Linux for Blind General Discussion. The subject is Arch Linux supports accessibility out of the box. And it's dated November 1st, 2020. And it's to the uh, to a distribution list around Orca Linux for Blind General discussion. It says, Hello everyone, I am pleased to announce that starting from this day, Arch Linux supports accessibility officially out of the box. You can download the ISO from the official website. Also, documentation about installing with accessibility is provided, and we'll have three links in the show notes. One to the announcement, two to the download for the ISO, and three for the documentation. So, well, thanks for that, uh, Daniel, and thanks for keeping us up to date on that for our blind users of Linux that listen to the show, and we have a few. I'm sure that will be of interest to them if they are, in fact, Arch or I'm assuming Manjaro users as well. And that's uh, that's great news. I was actually unaware that Arch didn't officially support it out of the box, but I'm glad they do now. That's excellent news. I'm glad to hear about that. Yeah, that is indeed good news. Thanks, Daniel. Okay. Well, that's it. We appreciate all of the feedback from all the listeners who have contributed to our 400th episode. Uh, interestingly enough, we've got so much feedback on a regular basis that our next episode will be listener feedback as well. Not the celebration of our 400th episode, but just regular feedback from our listeners. I'm sure you'll find everything that we have in the next episode interesting as well. And uh, we weren't able to put everything into this episode that we might like, but uh, we did want to provide you with um, an episode where we had an opportunity to listen to your experiences with Linux and uh, those learning experiences, uh, you know, in air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, like I said, thank you for everybody for sending in your stories and your tips and suggestions. And uh, 
Yeah, well, let's hope that we have another four hundred episodes. <laughs> and we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll meet you. We'll meet you at uh, episode five hundred, and then uh, we'll move on from there. So, guys, yeah, we'll head to a thousand. Yeah. Uh, Thanks that, for that? that's our goal. Uh, a thousand. <laughs> okay. Well, and at the rate we record them, that we'll both be uh, uh, getting ready for retirement. <laughs> older. <laughs> we'll be older. We'll be a lot older. <laughs> So thanks, thanks for everybody, and uh, again, uh, thanks for helping us celebrate our 400th episode. Yeah, our next episode, as I said, will be another listener feedback episode. Until then, you can go to our website at goinglinux.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. And if you'd like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux podcast community on community.goinglinux.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. 73. Music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.